Welcome to The Table. Welcome to The Table is a podcast put on by the good people of Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's an opportunity for us to invite you to sit at a table with us as we have conversations about things that we find interesting or helpful in our journey with God. My name is Thomas Thompson. I'm your host, and I'm here today with my co-host, J.M. DeFogie. Hello. Hey. And we are in the middle of this season having a conversation about one of the most interesting and helpful things that we've ever discovered, and that is the Bible. And so we're going to be diving back into that conversation right now. So at this point, all of our listeners should be, you know, biblical scholars Mm -hmm. and ready to go out and do just about anything, right? Navigate the murky waters of faith and theology with us. Today we're talking about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Um, It was developed by a German scholar named Hermann. And no, that's not, that's not accurate at all. So what is, what is hermeneutics? How would you define that? Uh, Would you define? I would. Hermeneutic, I think it's just a fancy way of saying, how do I understand what's being said here? What's what's the lens through which I am looking at this text? And as we've kind of talked about, I think, uh, already, is that the, no one has a perfectly clear lens. We're all bringing mm-hmm. some kind of uh, lens to the table. And, and so in that sense, I would say everybody has a hermeneutic, yes. whether they know they have one or not. And, I mean, there's a bunch of different lenses. And if you if you look at commentaries in your Bible, you're going to hear things like reception theory, which is how is, how is the arc of this scripture been interpreted, interpreted over the, the course of church history. You might hear literary comment, you know, literary hermeneutic where you're trying to understand genre, um, historical hermeneutics, like how did this relate? And the thing is each of these lenses, it reminds me of that scene in a movie where you've got sort of the Doc Brown character and he puts the glasses on and they have all the other little lenses that he can swivel into yes. place. And that's all hermeneutics is, is what lens are you swiveling into place as you look through a text? Yes. So what you, you might have one, like you mentioned in a, couple, a few. Uh, there's one commentary set I really like that is a socio-rhetorical hermeneutic, which oh, is really going to focus on what was happening in the culture around here that's influencing this? And then rhetorically, what are they doing? You know, so you would say, well, well, Paul in Romans is clearly laying out this kind of forensic argument mm-hmm. that he wants you to get to. And as we're, for example, studying um, uh, gospels at our church, uh, you understand, I, I, it's been good for me to remember that a gospel is not just an eyewitness account that someone wrote down. A gospel is a carefully orchestrated and rearranged material, not always in chronological order, because the goal of the gospel is not to just say, here's what happened. It's more of a, there is a, there is a point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. Like Mark is trying to make the point that this is the Messiah, yes. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so he's going to arrange all kinds of material. And in his gospel, for example, he really seems to focus a lot on the responses of people. Yes. So he'll often do things like, so Jesus taught some stuff, and then here's what everyone said about it. Is wait a minute, I want to have, I want to hear more about want, what Jesus taught. And, and like, Matthew, no, no, no. Matthew likes focusing on the teaching oh. side of things and and Luke going into details. Of, yeah, and, and so the point is that um, you you need uh, you you need a good hermeneutic, 
for to have a good hermeneutic, for example, you need to know what kind of book am I reading? Mm -hmm. Am I reading Psalms, which I need to be thinking a little bit more of a poetry hermeneutic? Right. It's a powerful word. I, I think it is an area, though, that we can get kind of confused on. I agree. And I think the other thing is if you're listening for the first time and this is the first time you've heard of the term hermeneutic, don't worry. You already have one. Mm. It is one of those things that we all have. We bring, uh, we talked a lot about in the previous episodes about like maybe biases that we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That forms part of our hermeneutic. Our tradition that we were raised in forms part of our hermeneutic. Even how we read the Bible, whether we're reading devotionally or really digging down and studying, that you have one. You just may now have the term for, for what we're looking at. Uh, now, one of the things that you said last time is that the Bible is a story and it's the story of God's family and how he's been attempting to put it back together from the time it is broken at the start of creation. Mm -hmm. It's not a systematic theology, right? Right. We, we've developed a systematic theology around it, but the Bible is, is the story of God's love for us. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to try and define like a systematic theology for reading the Bible. But the one thing that kind of, when I think about hermeneutics, I was, uh, you're going to hear me talk a lot about Dr. Paris. I've talked a lot about him so far. He really influenced me. But he's like, listen, there, there are two ways to approach reading the Bible. There's sort of this, what he called a circular her hermeneutic, where I'm going to come to the Bible. I know what I'm going to expect out of this passage. And the next time I come to it, I'm going to be the same person. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm going to just kind of travel in a circle and not really think about what I'm bringing to the text. I'm just, I'm going to let that kind of carry me on like current. There's also sort of a spiral, as he put it, hermeneutic, where each time we approach the text, we, we realize this is the word of God. And what is God trying to say to me? Mm -hmm. And as we ponder through that and mull through that, the next time we come to the same text, we're a different person because the spirit has worked on us. And so each time we read through scripture, God's kind of refining our view of him, of the world, and maybe it's expanding and maybe it's contracting, but we're allowing the Bible to have authority over us as opposed to saying, well, I know how, I know how the story of the prodigal son goes. Um, yeah. It was the example you used, how each time you've read it over the last decade. It changes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to identify with the older brother. Now I identify with the father. I, it, it's it's so funny. It's a I, I like to call it. It's a bottomless story, mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe that's true of all of all kinds of things. Like we could go into how well the Lord of the Rings. Every time I read it, I find something new. Sure, but there's something about uh, even just I don't know how many words are in the prodigal son story, but it is just it is a bottomless pit that you fall into because there's. It's, I'm not saying that there's forty thousand different ways to take that story, but there's just so much richness and nuance in that story and mm -hmm. what it communicates about us and God. And so every, but you're right. Every time I come to it, I'm in a different place. And that's one of the things that we've been, I think is a good theme here is, is just recognize that you're coming with a lens. Yeah. Recognize that there is no one in this world that has that perfect pair of glasses with the exact right lenses in there. Yeah. Um, we, we all have, uh, we all see dimly. Yes. Right now. We do. And, and I think we all have blinders as well that we may not be aware of. And that's really, I, I think that's really, at least for me, my goal for this episode is just being able to say, hey, here's what a hermeneutic is. 
you should be aware that you you have one. Yeah. And maybe here's some ways to talk about it. Okay, so to getting into that, that's you could I think we can get tripped up sometimes with labels. And I'm a big antagonist towards labels. I think labels are shortcuts that really don't uh, they're like tweets. You really haven't had a conversation. You just said something, and all of a sudden, all the stuff is assumed by it. Yes. So I really hate labels. But there are sometimes words that we use when we talk about hermeneutics that if we don't really think well about them, we can use them in wrong ways. Let me give an example. A literal hermeneutic, where you would say, I believe that the Bible is you know, it's literally true. It's literally true. And so that sounds good. I mean, I certainly believe the Bible is true. I don't think all the Bible is meant to be taken. Literally. Mm -hmm. Example, let's go to the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is talking about the son of righteousness who's going to rise peeling in his wings. I believe that's referring to the Messiah. If I'm taking that literally, then I'm guessing I'm looking for a Messiah that's going to show up with wings. wings yeah. Right? Well, no, that's obviously some kind of poetic device mm -hmm. there. And I, Malachi doesn't intend, I don't think, that we would have taken that literally. Right. Or there was another uh, scene that just came up this week in, uh, in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Jesus and, uh, and the guys after the synagogue go over to Peter's mother-in-law's house and she's not feeling well and they heal her. She gets up immediately and says, are you boys hungry? Can I make you some yeah. food? And so throughout this day, his reputation is growing in town. And Mark says, at the end of that night, the whole city mm -hmm. came to the door where Jesus was. Now, I, I, I guess there is a way to say, well, I want to take that literally. So I'm going to assume that every man, woman, and child... Every livestock, That's every, right. everybody in this city was there. Or I could understand that Mark was maybe just saying, what? Man, everybody was coming. Yeah. It was packed. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's got a little uh, exaggeration, I think, in, yeah. in the way that he speaks. That, to me, does not take away from the truth of what was happening. No. But do you think that some people get can get hung up on that? Oh, yeah. I think, I think um, the one that I like to, to point to is... At the end of Revelation, I was taught final battles going to happen, and Jesus comes out and he leads his army to victory. But when you read it, if you take it literally, Jesus fights with a sword in his mouth. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Yes. But when you start to understand, well, if I take this, as, you know, as a metaphor, well, what is the sword that comes out of Christ's mouth? Well, it's the word of his testimony, mm -hmm. and against truth, no lie can stand. Oh, well, suddenly that makes a lot more sense than Jesus, like biting the hilt of the sword and killing a bunch of people. Yeah. If we approach it with a little hermeneutic, we can get into, I think, a lot of a lot of problems. We can cut this out if, if this is a rabbit trail we don't want to go down. I think there should be many times in these podcasts where we go, we're going to probably cut this out. Yeah. And then not cut it out. Someone on Facebook posted the bumper sticker, Heaven has walls and a strict immigration policy. Hell has no borders and everyone is welcome. <laughs> and first Clearly call the point the guy was trying to make right and 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 the and the person was like well you know this relates to that point in Matthew right where wide is wide is the gate and narrow is the path and I'm like all right I think I think the truth of the parable is not the literal interpretation that someone has used to apply here to their specific circumstance and I I really like what you said uh, both in episode zero and like kind of throughout the first part of the season where the Bible is true, but there are some untrue ways that we use it. Yeah. And I think a strictly literal interpretation 
that that can get us into some troubles. Now, you were the one who wrote down that it's uh, not all equally important. There's a prioritization that needs to happen with us. What did you yeah. mean by that? Uh, yeah, there, well, I, I also want to go back to the thing that you just said about... Um, yeah, I think that there is... Uh, you know, there's an old story that I, I think uh, Billy Graham was the one that had told this, but he would talk about if I only had an hour to share the gospel with someone, I would spend 55 minutes helping them understand their need for Christ and then five minutes telling them what he did. That's Billy Graham. Yeah. So, and I tried to do his voice there, but it's uh, good Billy Graham. Yeah. The buses will wait. There's something, there's something about that. Like, so, so if Billy Graham had an hour with someone, would he spend time in the minor prophets? Would he spend time in Leviticus? How would, you know, maybe he, maybe he would, but he would somehow try to think about how he was going to shape that story. And I, I think it's, if we step back and realize the Bible is a story of God putting his family back together, and it culminates in this person of Jesus Christ, uh, that, that Jesus becomes for us our hermeneutic in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so like here, I'll, I'll put one of my hermeneutical lenses on. I am at a place in life where I am really looking through the lens of Jesus Christ as my hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. What did he think about scriptures? What ones did he quote? What did he say was important? And when he was asked um, uh, many times, what's important, what are the, what are the important commandments, he would say uh, love, in Matthew 22, love God and love your neighbor. All the law and prophets hang on these. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that Jesus is showing us this is the priority. I can, I'm summarizing all the law and the prophets into these two commands. Yeah. And, and, the, and the scribe of the law, like mm-hmm. the person whose job was to know all of the law, is stunned. And agrees with him. Yes. And and it's stunned that he did agree with him. And, and that's where I think we get uh, sometimes some problems with our interpretations. Because what those scribes would do, remember this is a time when you, you didn't go down to the Christian bookstore and just pick out which one of the thousand Bibles that you wanted. Mm-hmm. No one read. 90% of people couldn't read or write. And so who could read and write? The scholars. So these scholars were in this position, a dangerous position of not only being able to read the scriptures to you, but then telling you, this is what this means. Mm-hmm. And they had these interpretations. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, you'll see later with uh, the Reformation. It was like this idea of, if we could just get the Bible back into the common person's hands, we could alleviate some of that power control. Mm-hmm. But that's where we get all these dangers with, uh, with the scholars. And this is why when you read through the Gospels, again and again and again, I, you see Jesus saying, you have heard it said. But I have. But but now I'm yeah. telling you this. Mm-hmm. You've heard kind of a bad interpretation. Let me go back to what God was really trying to yeah. do. And he keeps reorienting their hearts. I think that was one of the things that stood out to me most as we kind of are going through this harmony of the Gospels thing, where Jesus starts by saying, listen, unless you have more righteousness than the Pharisees, you can't get into the kingdom. Which, if I were in that crowd, I would, you know, that's like being told that. Hey, unless you are uh, even better than Mother Teresa, you're not getting in. And then he goes into that section where he's like, you've heard it said, don't murder, which was the law. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you that it's your heart that matters. Yeah. You've heard don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you that this law was basically designed to orient you towards God. And you focused on the tangible outcome and not allowed it to like sink into your heart. Don't lust after people. Then you won't fall into adultery. He is, he's redefining some things. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, 
this is why it's often said in, in the Gospel of Mark, which we're, I'm soaking out now, but it's often said that people are amazed because it said, this guy teaches with authority, yeah. not like the scribes do. When the, sky, the scribes' authority was derived, it was derived from the fact that, hey, we are the ones that have the book, we can read the words, and we're the ones who studied it, so we will test. So it was kind of derived from that position. But Jesus had this other kind of, of speaking word. It was like, it doesn't sound like this is derived from anywhere. It just sounds like he's, mm-hmm. he's saying this stuff is true himself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like it's original authority coming yeah. out of his mouth. Well, and that's an interesting point, because again, when you go back and look at how authority is used in the Old Testament, it's definitely handed from God to, you know, one of the three sort of, you know, prophet, priest, king roles. And we've hit this point where, you know, even through Maccabees, there's not direct revelation anymore. So you're right. The people have basically taken the book and those who study it have derived this position. Yeah. And Christ shows up and it's back to the way it was, right? Like, you no, know, this is this is from God through this person. Of course they're going to be amazed. Of course they're going to listen. And he is speaking with his own authority. Mm-hmm. I, I would actually love, I don't think we're going to get this, but maybe we will. Maybe maybe in the future, when we are with God and he's restored everything and we have time on our hands, I would just love to say, God, could, could I just, can we go back and just see some of those things happen? Yeah. I, I would love to just hear Jesus speak and being able to understand Aramaic or whatever he was speaking at that moment. Um, to hear him speak and go, and just to hear, what did that sound like? Mm-hmm. Could, could just the way that he spoke, did it have some kind of authority? Clearly, in some way, yeah. uh, Luke says, if, man, if we, uh, I think it was Luke, maybe it was John, if, if all the things that Jesus said and did yeah. were written down, we wouldn't have enough books to fill them all. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I want to see what got cut. I want to hear the director's version of the Gospels. Yeah, the John cut, of, you know, where, where Warner Brothers is like, you've got too much runtime. Yeah, you got to cut, cut this back. I feel like Mark was maybe a first-time director, and they were like, you have time. You just gotta yeah, go. just, and, well, I mean, everything happens immediately. Back to these kind of interpretations. So think about the phrase, like, literal interpretation. Um, you, I, I certainly believe that there are some things that clearly are literal. Um, it's uh, this, uh, he turned water into wine. I believe that wine was literally wine. I mean, that's that, that makes sense to me. Um, but where we get confused is I think we don't, like I said, we don't understand maybe the genre that they're in, mm-hmm. is this poetry? Is it revelation, which is apocalyptic? Mm-hmm. It, that's a, that was a, a kind of uh, writing back then that was uh, very unusual. Um, is it more historical? Is it more documented laws? Yeah. For example, when you begin to read the Ten Commandments, and then you begin to understand the culture of, you know, these are really written like, like a legal document, like a treaty between mm-hmm. a king and a another king to say these are the terms of how we're going to operate yeah. and much less a list of do this don't do this it's more of this is how we're going to operate right. with each other so you, you, you need to know where you are and an example of that like i just wrote this one down i thought in leviticus uh, 1928 it says do not get a tattoo mm-hmm. so you and i we're, we're we're in trouble we are in trouble and we are not even counting bacon broken we haven't got to bacon <laughs> We have broken the Levitical law there. The verse right before that says, don't shave your beard. I'm in trouble. Yes. I'm in less trouble. That's true. Ah, you have more points. Yes. <laughs> so, points. but I have heard, and and uh, I, I waited until I was uh, almost 50 to get my tattoo. Part of it was the upbringing of, well, the Bible says don't get a tattoo. Mm-hmm. And that literally means don't get a tattoo. But I had not seen people make the case for the verse before it to say, 
then literally we should not shave our beards. Uh, in fact, there was a guy where you tell me about the guy who decided for a year of his life he was just going to try to literally obey yeah. every single thing in the Bible. What was it? A, yeah. a year of living biblically. A year of living biblically. And there are some great stories in there. So, so the so you have a don't don't get a tattoo. And we go, oh, well, the Bible says don't get a tattoo. We got to take it literally. The verse four says don't shave your beard. Well, we don't take that literally. Right. So it gets kind of murky. Like why why are we taking this one literal and not, and this one not? And again, it goes back to the value of kind of understanding the context of what was going on. So, uh, you know, my understanding of this is um, God didn't have a problem with tattoos. He had a problem with the practice during this day of, of marking yourself with the the, the, the gods or the other religions. Yeah. Or, and, and what he's saying here is, don't be branded by anything but me. Let me be your identity. Yeah. And so that was how they were expressing it then. And so he said, don't get a tattoo. But it wasn't an all-time kind of uh, right. thing that's in place. But if if we just kind of randomly walk through the Bible and just try to do what that guy did, uh, we can get in trouble. And so even people that say, I have a very strong literal interpretation of the Bible, which the seminary I came from uh, really was in that way too, would have so many caveats with that. Right. Like, well, of course, now in, in Psalms, we're not taking this literal. You know, we just got to know where we are. Right. One of the things that stands out to me is you know, part, of this, part of this discussion is identifying the lenses that we are wearing. Right, and we live in a post-enlightenment sort of postmodern world where the scientific worldview is the way we view the world. And I'm stealing this from a bunch of people, but it's really influenced me. If you if you boil it down, the scientific worldview is how does it work, which is great for our modern world. It's why we have cell phones. It's why we can put planes in the air. It's how we are transmitting what we are saying to you guys right now. That's not the worldview of pre-enlightenment, before the enlightenment, going all the way back to Moses writing in whatever BC, um, was the symbolic worldview, which is what is the truth that this, of what I've seen? And so I think for me, that's one of the best questions we can ask when we we approach scripture is not how does this work, but what truth is this telling me? And the one that I like to use is when Jesus says, can salt lose its saltiness? He's talking about the responsibility of those who listen to him. And we were studying this in our class, and my wife pulls up her one of her commentaries on her phone, and she's like, ooh, well, you know, it's, it starts off with, well, NaCl is the chemical composition for salt. And, you know, yeah, and it goes through all of the possible ways that salt could chemically break down, which are all really far outside cases. Like, they're talking about maybe salt licks were used in furnaces and if furnaces get hot it would break the salt lick down which jesus never never mentions and his next two examples are can a city be hidden on a hill no can light be hidden unless it's put under a bushel okay no so what's the truth about what truth does his comment can salt lose its saltiness be at that time the answer was it can't and so just like city and light and salt, we are supposed to be out there as examples of the kingdom of God. Where I've always heard the, well, if salt can lose its saltiness, and here's the scientific way it can happen, right. then you can lose your salvation, or you cannot be salt in the culture around you. We get two different pulls yeah. from that story. Or flip that around and go, well, wait a minute, we, we discovered that salt can lose its saltiness. So I guess... Jesus was wrong, or he was mm-hmm. misquoted, and and I, 
it, it's funny. I, I think that the I don't think the Bible uh, contradicts science. Mm-hmm. Now we can get into miracles, which would be a maybe a reversal or, or uh, how God doing that. But but sometimes uh, let me say it this way: the Bible is not a scientific textbook. It is not a book intended to teach people this is how. This thing happens. Now, sometimes it might describe some things that are scientific, like a, a rising of the sun or, or how that would set, but it, it's not intended to be that. And I see people get really hung up um, in the sense that we want to make, we just want to make everything fit. Mm-hmm. We just want to make everything fit. Now, I think there are some things that happen in the Bible that clearly now, looking back, God knew something uh, that, that we wouldn't have discovered yet. For example, uh, I, I really think that some of the Old Testament uh, uh, prohibitions against touching dead bodies or how if you touch a dead body, you are now unclean for a season. You're supposed to stay away from other people. And Well, now looking back going, well, that, that makes pretty much sense. Mm-hmm. If, if you're back in a culture where you weren't washing your hands and right. this guy may have died from some disease, if it might be smart for you not to be around people for seven days. When the Old Testament or the New Testament talks about leprosy, they're not necessarily talking about Hansen's disease, as we understand leprosy to be. Yeah. Leprosy was basically any skin thing that we don't understand. Like lycanthropy. Like le- <laughs> Yes. Um, right, and so, you know, it can, it can seem very harsh, but it's the equivalent of, say, like tuberculosis hordes to kind of mm-hmm. use something at least that we understand a little bit better. We're like, this is so contagious, and we don't necessarily know what it is. But it wasn't coming from a scientific worldview. Yeah. It was God going, this is something that is going to help keep you, well, one, reinforcing the called apart nature of Israel. But two, as you said, he knows something about the way he designed the world that we didn't at that time. Mm -hmm. And this is, this keeps us, uh, I think we talked about it in either episode zero or one, where it's like when children are little, they need more rules to sort of keep them safe. So I would so one one thing I know that people often get hung up on is like the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Mm-hmm. So what's going on there? And um, I was taught, and, and uh, to be honest, haven't haven't really changed this thought because I don't feel like I've needed to. Mm-hmm. That this was a literal seven day period of time, mm-hmm. and each day, each night, and I I'm good with that. I have friends that are much smarter than me that believe that these were uh, eras of time or that this was uh, maybe just describing kind of in in uh, the terms of that day as best they could creation. To me, the point is this. God created the world. Yes. Now, I don't, I, but I also know people that really get hung up on, like, if, if, if you go down that road, if you say this wasn't seven literal days, six days of creation, one day of rest, then... Then the whole house of cards falls apart. Right, and I, I just think that's too—that's too much. I was reading something just the other day that was actually the scholar was saying that the first couple of chapters of Genesis are creeds. Mm. That, be, that would be more the genre that they would be. Oh in. yeah, these would be things that we would say to one another and say, "This is what God did." This is because that creed is just a way to say something bigger, which is God created God the world. Creator. All right, you know, little. Joshua, let's let's say the creed again and remember before dinner how God created the world. Yeah. Oh, that, I had not I have not heard 
I know, isn't that weird? That's, that's actually really good. I like that. Hey, we're going to press pause on this conversation right now and pick it up again in the next episode. I hope that today's sitting at the table with us has sparked some different thinking for you and maybe some different things for you to explore or even generate conversations with others around you around another table. But we welcome you to come back with us next episode as we'll pick this up then.